Well, welcome to the Unstoppable Freedom Podcast. I'm Jimmy Page. I, for one, have grown increasingly tired of all the America haters out there. And it's no secret that there's a hard move in this country towards Marxist communist ideology in our schools, in our legal system, in race relationships, and maybe even most prominently in our politics. In fact, it's not uncommon to hear anti-American rhetoric and propaganda that undermines and even demonizes just about every aspect of America. We've witnessed the tearing down and defacing of statues, the rewriting of history that claims that America is systemically racist, the indoctrination of our children in schools, and even calls for the dismantling of our Constitution and virtually every other system in America. Well, today we're going to be tackling this issue head on as we discuss the American founding, all of our historic documents, our rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Our topic today is, in short, the American way. And my hope is that in the end, you're going to have a deeper love for this country and what we stand for as Americans. And today we have a tremendous guest who's an expert on America. His name is Dr. Thomas Cranowitter. Now, I'm going to call him Tom today, but you can call him Doc. <laughs> Tom is the co-founder and chief content officer of the Vino and Veritas Society. He's been one of the core instructors for the leadership program of the Rockies for over 20 years. He brings a lifetime of professional experience within modern conservative and free market circles. And he's an expert on American history, American founding documents and ideals, and a fierce defender of the American way. He's also written several compelling books, including Save the Swamp, Vindicating Lincoln and Challenges to the American Founding. He's dedicated his life to teaching and inspiring Americans to live as free human beings and self-governing citizens, not subjects. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you very much, Jimmy. I, I, I want to ping off just for a moment here off something you said in your introduction, um, because I, I think it will help kind of set the stage here. We yeah. can clarify some terms. Yeah. You know, you mentioned these these American haters and one of the results of this this now long campaign of these people who hate America is yeah. it's turning patriotic, freedom loving people like myself yeah into something like America haters. And, and here's what I mean by that. Mm. I and, and, and many others am coming to despise what America is becoming, yeah. what America is now. And, and I mention this because we, we, we talk about politics and culture and, 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 and other sort of social and political phenomena in terms that are very misleading. They're not very accurate. Uh, among them, uh, terms like conservative and liberal. And especially that term conservative, it raises this this hugely important question. What is it conservatives think they're conserving? And and I will say for myself, uh, I, I, I sometimes call myself a conservative, but I do not want to conserve this gigantic, bloated administrative state we have today. I don't want to conserve that. Yeah. I don't want to conserve the wokeness and the, the movement for diversity and equity and inclusion that now dominates our universities and military institutions, right? In other words, the way things are right now is that's, that's, that's not what I want to preserve or conserve. Yeah. I, I want to conserve the principles of freedom yes. that were enshrined in our founding documents, those ideas for which the Patriots of 17, 1776 gave everything that they had. And, yeah. and, and, and so it's good to sort of, you know, clarify these things yeah. because at a, the most basic level, right, to conserve means to preserve and protect the status quo, what we have right now. And 
I don't think most Americans who call themselves conservatives like what, what, what America is today. They, they, they're trying to recover something uh, better that we're at risk of losing. Yeah, no question. And, you know, it's part of, and you know, this is part of the communist manifesto, right? Part, one stage of that uh, in amidst all the others of propaganda and, you know, turning lies into truth and truth into lies is this idea of demoralization is that there's, they create so much division, so much chaos, so much bureaucracy, so much, you know, a lack of freedom and infringement on our freedoms that we get demoralized. And I think that's really where a lot of Americans sit right now. The good news is, I think a lot of those same Americans are fed up and are starting to stand up and speak up uh, for the American that uh, for the America that they want. Yeah, I think, you know, on, on this, this subject of being you know, demoralized and a sense of deep frustration, uh, one just piece of this, this this is certainly not the extent of it, but but an important piece of it, um, the, the people we are opposing, the people we're in a, uh, a, a, a fight with about what the future of this country is going to be, they always seem to be moving the goalpost. If there is a moment or if, say there's a policy in which uh, um, Americans fall short of their own principles, mm. they betray somehow the principles of the. And we have done that as a country uh, yes. throughout American history. We have fallen short of the very self-evident truths we proclaimed during our own revolution. Mm. Uh, progressives will shame us yeah. for inconsistency, for hypocrisy. You, know, you, you didn't live up to those principles. As if those principles are good, as if those principles are the standard we should be aiming for, the goal. But then in a, in a different context, in a different conversation, when we're talking about those basic self-evident truths like individual rights and property and the rule of law and these kinds of things, they'll dismiss the entire ideas. The principles say, well, the, those are terrible. Those were, you know, those were ideas handed down by racist, slave-owning, homophobic, you know, uh, people in the 18th century, and we shouldn't even go back to those ideas. And, and right, and, and that's like, well, wait, you know, should we live up to the principles of the founding, or should we abandon the principles of the founding? Those are those are two very different courses of action. Yes, and I think that's the argument, right? That's the the greatest conflict is right there. They kind of bait you into this idea. They they shame you, as you said, and knock you down for not living up to the standard, and then they don't want the standard anyway. You know, they want to completely mm -hmm. dismantle the whole thing. But um, it's interesting because you are referring really to to a statement from former President Ronald Reagan when he said that freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. You know, that we didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected and handed on to them to do the same. Why is the foundation of the American way under such fierce attack today? And aren't we standing kind of in that place where freedom, it, it's hanging in the balance in some ways? Yeah, it, it, it is. I'll give you the answer. And the answer is a, a big subject. And I'm going to do my best here to compress it down. Um, and, and in a way, our problem today is connected to the challenge of modern science. And here's what I mean by this. Um the, the, the word, the English word science, it comes from a Latin root called scientia, which simply means to know. Mm. And of course, there were classical thinkers, ancient thinkers who were interested in knowing about the, the, the world around them. 
And they looked at, you know, if you if you consider, say, the Greek uh, philosophers, you know, Socrates and his students, Plato and Aristotle and others, they looked at the, the, the natural world, nature, as a kind of standard for how we ought to live. They, they came up with a term they called the natural law mm. that included moral axioms for what is right and wrong. They're objective. They're woven into the, the natural fabric of the world. And then, of course, uh, there's a strong religious teaching that lines up very well. Uh, most rational religious teachings right, align with the classical Greek moral teachings. But the purpose there was to know so we can know the world and, and to have some idea of how to live. Modern science. And when I say modern science, I mean the scientific revolution that was inaugurated by thinkers like Francis Bacon, uh, Rene Descartes. This is this is part of the, you know, coming out of the late Renaissance and the early Enlightenment. Mm. And they really changed the meaning of science from simply knowing mm. to a kind of making um, technology. There was this great emphasis on technology. We want to study chemistry and physics and mathematics and biology and those kinds of subjects so that not, not to follow the natural law or obey the natural law, but rather to conquer nature, mm. to bend nature, to make nature serve our needs and make our lives easier. And of course, modern scientific technology has been successful in a lot of ways. It has created, you know, everything from air conditioners to computers, right, to to this fancy microphone I'm talking into and medicines and, and, and all kinds of technologies and devices that have helped us. Mm. This is the spirit out of which modern progressivism is born in the 19th century. They're, these are minds who were enamored with modern scientific technology. And, you know, they're watching the, 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 the mastery of steam power and the creation of railroads and uh, telegraph communication. All of a sudden you can communicate with someone hundreds of miles away. And some thinkers got this idea and said, look, if science, scientific technology can, can solve all these other problems, then why can't science solve political and social problems as well? Mm. We'll start looking at societies the way, you know, the way scientists look at germs and viruses and they, right, and they come up with medicines to heal us. And, and so this idea of scientific central planning mm. this is the way we can we can eliminate crime and depression and conflict and war and all these human problems we can get rid of them if we just let scientific experts engineer entire societies this is the the hope the inspiration of the progressive movement and here's the rub mm. If you want a, if you want bureaus staffed with scientists who are going to solve all of our human problems, one gigantic obstacle is the United States Constitution because yeah. it doesn't provide for uh, bureaus of experts to right solve our problems. It provides for a very limited government with very limited specific mm -hmm. powers, and so those progressives, I'm I'm going all the way back to the late 19th century and the early 20th century. Uh, the time of thinkers like Woodrow Wilson and John Dewey and others, as they were creating this new model of how we should live and a new model of government, a new way of thinking about science, they were also at the same time discrediting 
everything about the founding, discrediting the Constitution, discrediting the ideas, the philosophy of liberty upon which the Constitution rests, because they saw that everything about the founding, like the Constitution and those ideas, that stands in the way of their progressive dream. And so for the better part of a century and a half, there has been this conflict going on between those who want to replace the founding with a, a modern scientific technocratic, you know, bureaucratic regime versus those who are trying to preserve some semblance of self-government by, by defending the ideas and the institutions of the founding as best they can. Well, and it's amazing because you're kind of describing the, the way I put it, the term I put over the top of this is the progressive plague. Right. It's this idea. It starts out with good intentions. Hey, we can we can make life better for everyone, but it ends with a very bad imitation. And I think one of the core tenets of this is that government is greater than God. In fact, if you look at Marxism and and all of the elements of the progressive plague, as I would say, it really does replace God with government. It replaces God with with a humanistic approach to thing. And therefore, you have to remove not only the Constitution, you have to remove the Declaration of Independence, because in the Declaration we talk about we hold these truths to be self-evident. So you can't you can't value America's founding. You can't value the principles and ideals and our structure if you believe that humankind can solve all of our own problems. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there, 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 in a way, there are two things going on si- simultaneously. And for the progressive agenda, they fit together um, necessary, sort of intrinsically. N- number one, government has to be greater and higher than God. Yes. And number two, there has to be a class of experts and scientists who, in a way, are greater than everybody else. Those two things go hand in hand. Um, if if we if we acknowledge that you Jimmy have you know rights that are endowments from a creator yes. that are inherent to you no no person gave them to you they were born with them then it it follows it's a very short step in logic to say well you have these rights uh, but they're sometimes endangered some people might want to violate your rights so the purpose of government becomes very simple and very narrow yeah. the only thing government is supposed to do is protect those inherent rights, those endowments from your creator. That's a a very, and it follows from that, that then government should have very narrow powers, just the the bare minimum powers to protect your, you know, inherent God-given natural rights. That's it. Yes. But if, but if, but if we say, well, there's going to be a class in the government that's going to decide really everything about your life, Jimmy, they're going to decide what kind of house you live in and what kind of transportation you use or don't use, right? Whether your car has a, an internal combustion engine or a battery or something else, all these details. Well, now we're talking about a government that does way more than just protect your rights. We're talking about a government that is engaged in constant experimentation and then implementing the results of those experiments in regulations and policies to decide how you're going to live. We've now raised, you know, the activities of government to this comprehensive scope. At, at the same time, um, we can't if, if there's going to be a few who are going to decide how you live, 
then those few necessarily occupy a much higher position of authority. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm reminded here, there's, there's, there's this striking passage. Woodrow Wilson wrote a little essay titled The Leaders of Men. Mm-hmm. And when he says leader, he meant it in the very modern progressive sense. In the same sense, you know, when the, when the Germans who were supporting Hitler, mm-hmm. uh, they would call him the, the Fuhrer. That's just a German word for leader. Uh, the Italians enamored with uh, with fascism. You know, they called uh, Mussolini il, il Duce. That's that's Italian for for the leader. It meant the leader in the sense of this is like our savior right here, right now. So it makes no sense. It makes no sense to limit his power if he's going to lead us into a a paradise like future. Why would we want to limit his his power? Mm. And so that's what Woodrow Wilson was talking about as leader. And he says in that essay, he wrote that men are as clay in the hands of the consummate leader. Mm. So you and I are nothing but we're nothing but matter. We're like clay. And, and the scientists, the leaders, the experts, the bureaucrats, they're the artists shaping us as a whole, right? All of us together, we form the clay and they shape us into the kind of forms and things that they want wow. us to be. That is, it's funny that you say that image, right? Because as a man of God, as a man of faith, I'm a, a Christian, um, that actually is a biblical reference, right? That God is the potter. And right. for the clay. And, and what I love about that is the creator who is referenced in our documents that our rights are given by God to us. Um, he says, you know, I'm going to make a masterpiece out of you. I'm going to give you all the ingredients and all the opportunities to become everything that you can possibly be. And here we are as human beings, essentially taking the place of God and now saying, well, no, it's this elite class. It's this small group of people who are the experts. And, and man, have we gotten our fill on the experts over the last three years? I'm so sick of hearing from the experts and, you know, this idea of follow the science nonsense uh, that I could, you know, I could throw up on it. Um, you know, it, it's a it is truly a humanistic globalist idea. Right. And now we've got the World Economic Forum, who is essentially uh, designing a globalist agenda through the United Nations. And they're now essentially going to, you know, break down all the barriers of of all the nations and start making worldwide decisions, whether it's through the U.N. or or it's through the World Health Organization. That is what's happening globally. And America, we're standing at this crossroads right now about whether we're going to maintain a national identity built on God-given rights and limited government or whether we're going to capitulate and become part of this, you know, globally controlled environment. Well, and and I want to, while we're on this topic, I want to point out something for your, your listeners, um, especially those who might jump to a conclusion of, yeah, the, these these progressives have always been uh, hostile to God and hostile to, to religion. Uh, it's interesting so that we better, we understand better how we came to be where we are today. Now, it is true after the 1960s, uh, kind of what I would call progressive leftism really took a hard turn of of hostility towards religion be, becoming openly hostile toward religion and, and wanting to train if religion remains transforming it right but that wasn't the case in earlier generations of progressives all those earlier generations of progressives tended to be deeply religious deeply christian figures i i, I mentioned woodrow wilson before 
This is a man whose father was a preacher and a theologian. I mean, he was Woodrow Wilson himself was a deeply read. Uh, he he considered himself a very pious, mm. faithful, believing Christian. He knew his Bible inside and out. He knew church history inside and out. I mean, he was a he was a very thoughtful man about these things. He wasn't stupid. He wasn't ignorant about them. And in a way, that's what made him all the more dangerous. He could weave in these references like the potter and the clay that resonated. It resonated with a a, a nation of Christians, you know, and, and it's almost so subtle what he's doing. You know, the difference. There's just a big difference between God being the one shaping the clay and 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 Woodrow Wilson's scientists, you know, like Anthony Fauci being the one shaping the clay. Yes, exactly. It's this fallible man. And I think that there is this hubris associated with it. But it's interesting that you say that. I remember back, you know, growing up when when the Democrats and the Republican Party, they didn't they may have seen the solutions differently, but they both were designing their solutions around um, really improving life in America. I really felt like, you know, you could disagree on the issues or on the solutions to the issues. And, you know, I think back of, of men like JFK, who today would be a pretty darn conservative Republican in, in ideology. Yeah. Um, I mean, man, are, are arguably, arguably too conservative for the modern Republican are, party. Yeah. He might be tea party Republican today. We look, yeah. we look at RFK jr. We look at, you know, Bobby Kennedy today or Robert F. Kennedy jr. Today. And wow, he sounds like a conservative to me in almost every respect. It's just a stunning development. But I think it's part of it is because we thought that we won the Cold War, you know, we, with the tearing down of the wall and this grand display of, of you know, it seemed like the, the victory was in the freedom camp. Well, all the, the uh, enemy did was they just reorganized and said, well, we're not going to defeat America from outside. We're going to have to take a new strategy. And in comes this ushering in of this deep Marxism, which is now in our schools, this idea that we're kind of against America, we're against the American family. Um, We've got this war against parents and their role in the upbringing of their children. We've got this anti-faith environment where you can't freely speak or represent your beliefs in the public square. And we've seen that they've doubled down on their ideology. And now Marxism and socialism are so attractive to so many of the young people in America that that war never ended. And and I'm afraid yeah. we've woken up 60 years too late. Um, so there have been two great cataclysmic conflicts mm-hmm. in American history. Uh, one, of course, was the Civil War. Yeah. And. The other was World War II, out of which the the Cold War came. I mean, the Cold War is, in in certain respects, a continuation of of the battle lines drawn up in World War II. And in both of those cases, the military victors, the people actually won the you know the the fight on the on the physical battlefields, lost the battle of ideas mm-hmm. in in really important ways. Um, uh, Lincoln's Union Army w- wins the Civil War, and and the Confederacy is is sort of crushed as as a political entity. Uh, the Union, you know, becomes becomes the Union again. Yeah. But at at the heart of Lincoln's statesmanship was a dedication to the principles of the Declaration of Independence. He he said this, explained this over and over and over. Um, his political opponents, whether it's 
Stephen A. Douglas or John C. Calhoun or Roger Taney on the Supreme Court or Jefferson Davis, the presidency of the president of the Confederate States of America, all those, all they had this in common. They rejected the natural right principles of the American founding. They, 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 that idea that all human beings are, are equal in one decisive respect, that every human being, no matter what they look like, no matter what language they speak or what color their skin is, no matter what historical era they live in, every human being is endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, a right to their own life, their own liberty. Um, those people rejected it. And within a generation after Lincoln's gone, it's their ideas that become dominant that you know, the, the, the Stephen Douglases and John C. Their ideas are the ones being taught in the universities and celebrated as Hollywood emerged and not, not, not Lincoln. Um, same thing in world war two and, 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 and then the ensuing uh, cold war that followed, you know, when you look at those great tyrannies of the 20th century, those gigantic, you know, the Soviet Union, what what it was and Nazi Germany and scholars like to debate details between, you know, what is fascism and what is socialism and what is communism? And I tend not to make those distinct and that big of a deal about those distinctions, because what they all have in common is they are all centrally planned regimes. Yes. There are a handful of elites, uh, scientists and others, engineers who are planning not just the economy. I mean, you know, we will talk about you'll hear that phrase of central economic planning. But to plan economics means really to plan everything, to plan how people live and what they do. Um, that's what it was. And that that's progressivism. Yeah. Uh, the, the the Soviet Union was an experiment in progressivism. Nazi Germany was an experiment. In fact, uh, I mentioned just a few minutes ago those early American progressives in the 1880s, 1890s, that period, early 20th century, early 1900s. Many of those young academic progressives went to Germany to get their PhDs because it was the Germans who were perfecting the social sciences of public administration and social engineering and central planning that one generation later became Nazi Germany. I mean, wow. it, it sort of makes sense why it became that because they were the ones who perfected those social, those social sciences. And here we are in, you know, 2023, almost a century after world war two. And I would say today, Jimmy, and I, I really mean this. I think we're more German than we are American today. I think we're more Russian. We're more Soviet than we are American. Our country today has a lot in common with the old Soviet Union. It has very little in common with the principles of the Declaration of Independence. Wow. You know, and, and when I think about the Declaration, that's, first of all, that's a troubling statement. <laughs> and I think you're right. <laughs> and I think, you know, whenever you're talking about um, ideas that kind of dismiss these founding ideals where we hold these truths to be self-evident. You know, Thomas Jefferson, you you said in the class, his original text said, we hold these truths to be sacred and undeniable. Um, yeah. You know, that this is not something up for debate. And boy, that that concept has gotten completely thrown out. In fact, there's an almost an amoral or an irreligious 
bent on on where we're at today. And the ideas, those truths, there's some essential truths in the in the declaration that all men are created equal. That was unique in the in the day Um, and that they're endowed by God with these rights. The rights come from God and the government's role. And you mentioned it at the very beginning. Government's role is to protect those individual rights. I have in my lifetime and I'm, you know, I'll say I'm relatively young, (laughs) Um, but in my Mm -hmm. lifetime, I have never seen a more pointed, targeted assault on individual liberties in every single direction than right now. Is that do you see it the same way? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do. And there are deep roots and then there are to this problem and there are almost endless iterations of how those pro- how we're seeing those problems today, how we're seeing those attacks yeah. uh, on those ideas at, at a kind of basic fundamental level. Um, I would describe this as something. Uh, this is actually a title of a, of a famous book from the 1980s by a guy named Alan Bloom. Uh, but I think the title was right, a kind of closing of the American mind. And, and here's what I mean by that. At the time of the American founding, uh, Americans were open. They were receptive. They, they still had disputes, and, and including deep theological, philosophic disputes. But most Americans were open to the possibility of objective moral truth. Yeah. That there are moral truths just like there are mathematical truths and physical truths. And, you know, you, you and I, Jimmy, we could both be physicists and there could be some, right, complicated uh, dispute in quantum mechanics. And maybe you and I disagree, but we agree there is a truth. Yeah. And, and we're both trying to get to it, right? So we're doing our research and we're debating at conferences because we do think there's a truth. We just don't think we've we've agreed upon it or yeah. we've fully figured it out. That was the view of, of, of Americans at the time of the founding. They said, you know, we might we might have some disagreements and we might need to listen to m- more arguments and more opinions. But there is a moral truth. Ab- absolutely. There's a moral truth. It, it's what makes dispute and discussion fruitful because you think you're there's at least a possibility you could be getting closer to the truth. Yeah. Today we've sort of closed off our minds to that. Mm. Um, for, for tens of millions of Americans, the only possible truths they'll even entertain are scientific truths. Uh, if you said to them, you know, if you, if you said to a progressive today, well, isn't it true that, uh, I don't know what's some basic uh, isn't it true that an acid mixed with a base neutralizes into salt and water there'd be some who say yeah yeah that, that that's true and then if you say and isn't it true that I have an inherent right to my life no other human being has a right to my life I I am the rightful owner of, of my life they would say no that's just your value that's just your subjective arbitrary opinion there is no moral truth yeah and and at sort of a deep philosophic level here, this is what we're up against: is trying to persuade our fellow citizens to open their minds and to think in a bigger way. Look, there's nothing wrong with studying, you know, physics and chemistry and math. Go, we need that. Great, wonderful. But I always ask people: Will you also consider there might be moral truth? Yeah. And if there is moral truth, that really matters then for our policies for our laws. It means justice and injustice are real. 
We can actually know the distinction between these things. We can we can design policies that advance justice and uh, avoid injustice. Uh, that is that is no small matter today. That is one of the greatest challenges that we have. I think you're right. You know, we, it, this is the advent of the of that statement, my truth. And as soon as I heard my truth, I knew we were in trouble because that makes truth subjective. You know, it's a, it's not objectively knowable. And whenever you get to that place, you know, you're on a slippery ground, you know, and I was thinking that we have exchanged moral and morality and virtue for values and morality and virtues. Virtues are timeless, but values are temporary and values are in the eye of the beholder. And what we've done is we've exchanged moral truth, that certainty, the knowable truth for experiential truth. And now all bets are off. Yeah, you're absolutely right. In, in fact, it's worth noting that that term value, mm. I mean, it's an economic term. It it comes from the, the study of economics. And there's a very proper place for that concept of value when, you know, when you're shopping for a car or a house or, a, you know, a new pair of jeans, whatever it is, there are things you're going to value. Yeah that I don't value. And there are things I value that you don't value in an economic sense, right? Yeah. Um, some people love to buy old, beat up, rusty cars and, and, and put a lot of money and time into restoring them, right? And they really value that. And other people say, man, I want nothing to do it. They see an old rusty car and they're like, I'm not going to pay anything from that. that. That would just be a headache. I don't want to have to deal with that. Now, now think about that subjectivity, right? Where each person in an, in an economic sense, they, they decide what they value, what matters to them, and then transfer that over to the realm of morality. All of a sudden, what is right and what is wrong is simply a matter of personal preference. Whatever I want, that's, that's what's right or what's just. Mm -hmm. And it makes, I mean, in, in a way, what we're talking about here is we're talking about the end of moral philosophy. We're, yeah. What we're saying is moral philosophy really is impossible. There is no moral truth to discover. It doesn't make any sense to think or talk about moral things because there is no truth. Yeah. There's just subjective opinions. Yeah. Well, it's amazing that you say that too, because I think without that moral foundation, in fact, I think it was John Adams that said that our republic, our system is not adequate uh, to govern anything other than a moral and religious people. Now, you know, for me, that makes sense, right? Because there are certain responsibilities that each one of us has as citizens. Well, I hope you enjoyed part one in our two-part series with Tom Cranawitter talking about the American way and restoring our love for America and our faith in our systems. Stay tuned and follow us next week for part two. 